connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. What is AOC? What is community media? Maybe these are small questions, but they have big answers. So big, in fact, that we had to make a whole podcast about just that. The short answer is in our mission statement. Building an informed and engaged community through media, technology, and education. Hearts of Hope Education Director Val Senegal discusses a few of the success stories that she has encountered over the years in this podcast edition of Community Quotes. joining us for today uh, for Community Quotes. If I can have you say and spell your first and last name for us. First name Val, V-A-L, last name Senegal, S-E-N-E-G-A-L. Okay Val, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what it was like there. I actually grew up in Opelousas, Louisiana, third oldest city. (laughs) And so life was very, very quiet because mm-hmm. I, I grew up in the north uh, part of Opelousas, mm-hmm. going towards Plaisance, mm-hmm. where you could walk to the store and get you a link of boudin and some chips, mm-hmm. and uh, everything was safer then, you mm-hmm. know, where uh, neighbors looked after the kids for you. Um, so yeah, time has definitely changed, but that's where I grew up, fond memories, uh, graduated from Opelousas High, okay. and then I got my bachelor's degree from UL Lafayette, my master's degree from Northwestern. Oh, wow. Um, do you have any siblings or uh, any older, younger brothers and sisters? I do. Okay. I'm actually the fifth child. Oh, it's wow. six of us. Oh, wow. Yes. One boy. Oh. All girls. Oh, wow. I hope there was more than one bathroom in the house. There was. <laughs> <laughs> to get ready, you know, you got to absolutely makeup and hair. And, absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? I, I learned the aspect of sharing and uh, self-entitlement was uh-huh. not something that was in our home. I tell you that much. We all had to get along. We all had to learn that you don't have just one of something. It's, right. it's for everyone. Exactly. So I, and I, I do think that those were valuable skills to take into the world because, mm-hmm. you know, with the technology that we have, you can get all this information instantaneously. Right. People kind of get into that habit of mm-hmm. wanting things now, yeah. that instant gratification now. You go in the store, nobody wants to wait. But because I had to wait, I mean, I'm, I'm the fifth in line, so you know what? You better learn to wait. Yeah. Um, that, that's not a problem for me. I'm still stuck on that. Where I have to remind my own three children that uh, times just wasn't like this. You didn't get things so instantly. Right, right. So, yeah, I think that's something we all in the world have to be mindful gotcha. of. Gotcha, gotcha. It's just not just us. Whenever you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, so many things. Okay, so when I was in kindergarten, first, second grade, I wanted to be a princess. Daddy's princess, right? Yeah. So got older, started transitioning, preparing myself for middle school. Yeah, daddy's princess isn't going to work. So now we need to think about something else. So what did we play a lot growing up? Teacher. 
and I was always the teacher, and I bossed all my cousins. <laughs> they were the students. I taught the lesson, and I gave the spankings. So I wanted to be a teacher. Then when I took a law studies class in high school mm -hmm. and I argued a mock case, my teacher gave me an A plus for that. She said I did an outstanding job. At the time, it was Judge Alonzo Harris who came in. He was the uh, guest judge mm -hmm. and he looked at uh, what we had done and he even gave us a great review of how we conducted our trial. So then I start thinking, man, yeah, I could be a lawyer, right? right? Well, I enrolled here in Lafayette at the UL Lafayette, and then I started paying attention to how many lawyers Louisiana <laughs> has, right? So then I said, man, am I really gonna make an impact uh -huh. on the world being a lawyer? Probably not, we have so many, so I'm gonna let them do their thing and I'm mm -hmm. gonna find myself a new avenue. Didn't quite know what that was, so I signed up for AmeriCorps. Oh, nice. That's where my career avenue really opened up and blossomed because okay. I got to work on uh, policy changes, work with law enforcement. I was able to do some education pieces, tutoring mm -hmm. inside of the different uh, housing complexes all around Lafayette, okay. was able to do some environmental work, uh, travel, work with so many different people, really impacting the world, making some real changes. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wanted to work in government. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to leave the education piece alone. That's okay. still in me to teach right. and affect changes like that. Okay. But arguing for rights and justice and uh, equal protections, that was still in me too, right? Okay. So that's necessary when you're looking at policy change. Right. So long story short, mm -hmm. that is why I'm in the capacity I am today okay. as the education director with Hearts of Hope. Mm -hmm. I have spent a significant amount of time, over 15 years, working with federal government, state government on policy changing, behavioral change programs, education pieces, uh, PSAs, a lot of community work, a lot of changes in the community at local, state, and federal level, mm -hmm. and enjoyed every single moment of it. Mm -hmm. I have no regrets. Mm -hmm. Everything has been, while incidental in my life, it has been most meaningful. I have been guided down the right path, mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying every moment of it. I have my highs and my lows, sure. like anybody else. Yeah. You have your challenges, but you know that these challenges are necessary, mm -hmm. and you are built in fortitude when you go through these struggles. You go through the grit and the grime, and sometimes a lot of gridlock. Yes. But even when you get absolutely no success, you, you've, you've not uh, torn down any door or any wall that was built up in a year, you look at all that you've done, how many people you've worked with, how you've helped them see things differently. Mm -hmm. And that alone is gratifying. That alone is impactful. Because a lot of times people don't pay attention to certain things until they have a conversation with someone that, yes. oh, we don't have this in this community. This will be great to open up a library there. This will be good if we can have more police training there. This will be good if we have more clinics in this area to service uh, the people and eliminate this health disparity. Mm -hmm. So th these are the changes that really do make a lot of impact. You don't hear about them. A lot of times the effectual things are done behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. 
and you, you get a little snippet in media or in, the, you know, the newspaper, TV, but all of that good change that was yeah. necessary occurred on the uh, back end. Exactly. Well, speaking of that and, and people that make an impact, um, you mentioned, you know, growing up that uh, you had, a, for a time, wanted to be a teacher, um, and that's very admirable because teachers are, of course, underpaid uh, for what they do. Is there a particular teacher that you've had uh, in, you know, elementary school, high school, college, uh, that really stood out in your mind as someone that was very influential or made a big impact in your life? Yes. Okay. In elementary. Mm -hmm. Claire Reed was one of the most impactful teachers I had. Mm -hmm. She was my first grade teacher, and what a blessing. She was also my son's teacher and my baby girl's teacher. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and, well, she, uh, when I stepped in and I said, you have my child to teach now. She said, well, that means I need to get out and retire. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh She's a very fair teacher. Okay. She's a very thorough teacher. Mm -hmm. She gave us the quote, and she still even told it to my own children. Readers are leaders, mm -hmm. and leaders are readers. Mm -hmm. So she instilled that aspect of reading, the importance of it, okay. how it builds your comprehension, and how a lot of people make quick decisions. The papers are all in front of them, mm -hmm. but what do they fail to do? Read. Right. If you want to effectively lead, you have to read the things that are in front of you. If you can't, well, then hire somebody who loves to read and who's going to get right. it to you, get yes. that information to you. But it's absolutely necessary. Great advice. Um, so mm -hmm. she was one of the ones in elementary. When I got to middle school, it was Miss Angela Labe. Okay. She was my science teacher. And middle school is a very difficult time. Yeah. And you talk to any teacher who teaches middle school children, they'll tell you because adolescents, they're growing, they're leaving elementary. Right. They think they're ready for high school, but they're not quite sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Self-esteem is up and down. They're just so uncertain. Right. I, I, was, I was definitely one of them. Yeah. But she had so much patience. She had the patience of Job, I'm telling mm -hmm. you. <laughs> and she took the time to explain and she formed relationships with her students that were very invaluable. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times students, that's what they want, to feel like they're a person and not just another number in a classroom that's being educated. Right. So she was very valuable in that aspect. <clears throat> then when I got to high school, we had so many teachers, right? Because then, by then, you have one teacher teaching you one subject. So right. you have about seven or eight of them. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a great group. Uh, there were many. You, I had Miss Leslie Pete, who's still teaching, and uh, she has my daughter. Uh, so uh, nice. another one. I need to retire. <laughs> she was effective in teaching biology because that's a pretty difficult subject. But yeah. she was able to teach it in a manner that we were all easily uh, learning from her <clears throat> teaching skills. And then I had a counselor, Miss Linda Charles, who I still communicate pretty frequently with. Mm -hmm. She was the guidance counselor that invested a lot of time, a lot of energy in guiding students and preparing them for life beyond high school. Okay. You know, if you come from a two-parent working uh, environment where both of the parents are working to make ends meet and, 
uh, you know, provide for the family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes parents may forget some small things, you know, in rearing their kids. Mm -hmm. and, and that does not take away from the quality of their parenting at all. But you have other people who children are around at school who have to kind of bridge the gaps, right? right. And she was great at that because a lot of things, you know, <clears throat> I, I learned at home, you know, the domestic aspects of it. My mother taught me, my father teaching me about work ethic. Mm -hmm. um, there were other things like how to prepare for that job interview, how, mm -hmm. what to uh, look for when submitting these college applications and really sitting down, putting that time, that energy in mentoring students. She did that and was so great at it. Yeah. Still to this day, she is retired now. Okay. Uh, she and I still have great conversations. She still mentors me with a lot of things in my life, and she helps me to see things sometimes differently. Okay. Because we all work in bubbles sometimes. Yeah. We're in our own little world, and we need to have healthy exchanges with people who can help you see things in a different way. Because, again, the gridlock. Right. Louisiana is not immune to the gridlock, yes. right? <laughs> uh, she helps bridge that gap for me because I'm not in the school systems. Uh, she's recently retired, uh, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. So she can bridge that gap for me on what's still happening at local school board levels. Mm -hmm. What's still taking place? How has standardized testing changed? What are the new mandates? What is the new trends that she's seeing amongst students? And why some students are not making it to college? Mm -hmm. Why there needs to be more focus on our technical schools right. and things like that? And oh, just so helpful. Just so helpful to have a relationship with her. That's. Sounds like she's a wonderful individual, <laughs> as well as the other teachers that you mentioned. So kudos to them for doing an outstanding job. Oh, um, let's talk about lessons in life. Uh, what was your first job and what did that teach you? My very, very first job. So we're talking 16 years old, okay. able to now get a part-time job and have Social Security <laughs> taken out of my check. Uh -huh. Big lesson with that, right? Because I totally thought I was going to get all the money I earned. Everybody was, does. <laughs> right. It's so disappointing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, was at KFC. Okay. North side of uh, Lafayette. Okay. And that was interesting for me. Because number one, I learned the aspect of taxes, paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Did not learn that. So that's what daddy meant every time he said, oh, more taxes, more taxes, right? And he right. was getting upset, right? <laughs> and how you, you, you can use all these things because your tax money is paying for it. You didn't get it as a kid because you weren't working. Right. I got it then. <laughs> you know, I would add up my little money back then. That was $5.15 minimum uh -huh. wage. So, you know, I did my little hours, you know, work when I could. Uh -huh. And then I just knew I was going to get this check, right? And then I get less. And well, what happened to my money? And then, oh, <laughs> baby, we forgot to tell you that now that right. you're working, government's going to take, you know, Social Security mm -hmm. and for Medicare and mm -hmm. things like that. And what is all that? And <laughs> God, I got that lesson. So gotcha. that was valuable. It uh, definitely helped me learn responsibility mm -hmm. because my parents were the type you work. Mm -hmm. You're going to put gas in your vehicle. Mm -hmm. You're going to do the maintenance, we'll pay the insurance, and you're going to basically pay your fair share. Mm -hmm. So that was my taste of the 
the big girl world. <laughs> uh, that was just for a year and then it moved on. But that was the first job that I had where I learned to put yes. on the big girl pants mm -hmm. and be a real citizen of the world. You're not a citizen <laughs> until you start paying taxes. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thinking about where you were and now where you are, that's uh, a huge change, but you are now with the Hearts of Hope organization. Yes. Tell me more about it and the mission of Hearts of Hope. Oh man, I've been with Hearts of Hope for three and a half years now. Okay. And when I tell you, this has been one of the most gratifying experiences within my career. Hearts of Hope is basically the umbrella agency for our Children's Advocacy Center where mm -hmm. all of the child forensic interviews take place anytime okay. there's an allegation for child abuse. Okay. We also have the Sexual Abuse Response Center. That is where all of the clients and their families can receive no costs counseling and therapy regarding sexual abuse trauma or some type of maybe physical mm -hmm. trauma that stem from witnessing or being a you know a bystander or actually having that trauma occur to them. Right. We have the rape crisis hotline where individuals can call immediately 24 hours a day, seven days a week mm -hmm. if they need assistance, immediate uh, assistance handling any type of uh, sexual assault. And then we also have the sexual assault nurse examiners mm -hmm. that are dispatched to the local ERs to do those forensic examinations on the body, get that DNA evidence that has to be admitted mm -hmm. uh, to trial when you are trying to put a perpetrator behind bars. Right. And there's so many elements to this work. I had not realized that. Mm -hmm. No day is the same as the other one, I tell sure. you that. <clears throat> At first, I thought, okay, well, this would be maybe a slower pace, right? Because sexual violence isn't something that's happening every day. Boy, was I wrong. Mm -hmm. It's so much taboo around, especially in conservative communities, when mm -hmm. we get together and we exchange dialogue with other states and what they're doing. You know, here in Louisiana, because we're so conservative, we tend to not talk about that. Mm -hmm. We tend to not uh, want to discuss on community level and family levels about you know child molestation, mm -hmm. rape. Mm -hmm. And now with the advent of technology, you even have sexual abuse happening online, right. going live, you know, happening on social media. And, and, and the world has gotten to a point where some of this, this violence is acceptable. People mm -hmm. have become desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. So the cases are now um, a lot more intricate than it yeah. was uh, in the past. Right. So you have all these different types of things happening every single day. Yeah. I know here in Southwest Louisiana, there's mm -hmm. not a day that goes by a case is not. Would you open. say that that's a misconception that a lot of consumers have in this area? That Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I know it was a huge awakening for me, mm -hmm. but every single day, that is not a joke, that is not a lie. Every single day there is a new case being opened. Mm -hmm. And Hearts of Hope covers basically the Acadiana area, uh, Acadia Parish, Lafayette Parish, Vermilion mm -hmm. Parish. That falls under the 15th Judicial District Court System. Mm -hmm. And then we have 16th Judicial District Court System, which is Iberia, St. Mary, and St. Martin Parishes. So throughout all of those parishes, we're working with all of those law enforcement officials mm -hmm. throughout those parishes to try and help funnel these cases, not treat these cases as just another number. Right. 
So there's a lot of components to it that have to be addressed. You have to work with a team of people you ha that may be DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services. Those caseworkers have to come to the table if it's something involving children in the home. You're working with Title IX coordinators at mm -hmm. our universities to have these awareness and education pieces, have these bystander and consent classes done on campus. Mm -hmm constantly increasing awareness and education <coughs> regarding the students' rights, right. that this is not tolerated, that uh, they do not have to just drop out of school if something does happen. Mm -hmm. The school will help them, accommodate them, so that way they can continue their education. Uh, we're working with nurses, so it's so much. It's, it's so vast, and it's so fulfilling because a lot of times, survivors of sexual assault, they suffer in silence. Right. So knowing that they have an outlet, they have advocates who can be their voice, mm -hmm. standing up with them, not just in the community, but in the courtroom, mm -hmm. throughout that judicial process, is so necessary, it's so fulfilling, and it's impactful. Because uh, I heard a judge say the other day, you know, when he started, cases just weren't as numerous Right. as they are today. Mm -hmm. And now, seeing so many cases, it's not intentional that you would treat a case like a number, but sometimes it does, right. because you have so many you have to get off of sure. the plate. Well, and in speaking of numbers, how many lives would you say that Hearts of Hope, and I know you guys underwent a name change, it was Stellar Place. It was Stellar Place. Right, for, for many, many years. How many lives would you say to date that you guys have made a, uh, an impact on? Oh my, from the day of it even existing, well over 100,000 people, wow. well over. Mm -hmm. Because every year we look at the forensic mm -hmm. uh, data, we look at the people that have gone through the ER, mm -hmm. we look at the education, the training, mm -hmm. and that's always over 10,000 in total. With the, the clients themselves who mm -hmm. come in, who report, who have an active case, that's always usually above the 500 marker mm -hmm. for a whole year. Wow. wow. So that's why I say this is something we have to talk about more yeah. because not talking about it, the problems aren't going away. Right. It just increases every year not talking about it. Sure. Uh, with touching so many lives, and I know for confidentiality reasons, you certainly can't say names or maybe even go into to detail, but can you give me an example or a few examples of a, a success story? I can. Just recently, we were working with some students in a rural area, mm -hmm. educating them on the ramifications of using social media inappropriately mm -hmm. and using their cell phones without parental controls. Mm -hmm. And we had a student that stayed after the session. And that student had disclosed to us the feelings of suicide. Mm -hmm. And it was heartfelt moment that while we're there to address preventing sexual violence, this person, and she didn't tell us why, but I suspect, because that is a hard thing to disclose if you are being sexually abused. Yeah. This student, I, I suspect, is experiencing some type of sexual abuse issue some kind of way right. because she said she had been 
um, feeling the need to just end her life. Mm -hmm. Feelings of unworthiness, feelings of um, no one loving her. And we were able to get that student help. And I think about that, I said, man, if we had not come to this little rural community, because sometimes people tend to overlook these little rural areas right. that have no services, little to no services. And they're in our, our area, but funding is always so short. We always, we're in a budget crisis right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you can only do so much. Mm -hmm. So we were able to get that student the help that was necessary. Uh, hopefully that student, if she is, will come forward that way we can get her the proper help if she mm -hmm. is being sexually abused, but just disclosing that feeling that had been with her for a while right. of suicide. Right. She's still here. You know, she's still living. Had we not been there, would she still be here? Right. And it's those success stories touching one life at a time. Absolutely. One. Absolutely. You're right where you need to be. Mm -hmm. You're right where you need to be doing what is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Um with working for a nonprofit, I know that there can be challenges as well as opportunities. What would you say would be the biggest challenge in working for a nonprofit organization? Well, the challenges, I know every single nonprofit is different with how they uh, have their funding streams. Mm -hmm. So with uh, Hearts of Hope, we have a, a combination of state, federal funding, which I'm so familiar with, but then there's also the aspect of donor funding. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of different people you have to sit down and work with. I tell you, when you have any type of state or federal funding coming through, that means you have to work with state and federal government. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you. I appreciate working with federal government a little bit better than state government. Mm -hmm. I, I do find that in this particular state, we do have a lot of gridlock. Yes. But you know, these are the challenges, and not just Hearts of Hope. Many, mm -hmm. many uh, nonprofit organizations have to deal right. with that gridlock mm -hmm. to simply provide necessary services to meet unmet needs mm -hmm. in their own community that makes these types of impact mm -hmm. that are most necessary but are often overlooked. Right. That's the challenge. Yeah. That is a annual challenge. Sometimes that can be an everyday challenge. <laughs> That's a challenge that makes you so tired and then you have to put it away and re-energize right. because that's not why you're here. You're here to help the people who need this help and focus on that. Yes, yes. Well, and, and we're a community. We all need to work together. And, and one of the things that AOC participated in, and I know Hearts of Hope did as well, was the South Louisiana Giving Day mm -hmm. that was... Um, created by the Community Foundation of Acadiana. So congratulations on the funds that you guys oh, raised. You. And I know that we're looking forward to participating in that next year, and I'm sure you guys will do that as well. Um, what about volunteers with your organization? Do you have a need for volunteers? And if so, what are some things that people can help you with? Absolutely. We are always looking to increase our volunteer uh, bodies in the community they can help in numerous ways. They can help manage our crisis hotline. They can do emergency room accompaniment. 
they can help with the education department pieces that we have. Um, we, we, we wouldn't want to put them in a classroom officially, but mm -hmm. we can definitely have them go to like the daycare centers, the Head Start centers, our pre-K schools, and just do reading hours on preventing sexual violence through the little good touch, bad touch mm -hmm. storybooks talking about safe, unsafe uh, touches and behavior from other people. That's always necessary and needed because I believe firmly this education begins at a young age. It has to mm -hmm. because children are taught early on to obey ad adults. Right. And most oftentimes it's the adults that parents know and trust yeah. who abuse children. It's the adults that children are taught to do as they say. So if this adult violates them, they're taught just to obey. And if right. that adult tells them to keep that a secret, mm -hmm. <clears throat> they more than likely will. So the little storybooks that we have, basically it combats that lesson that's being taught in schools and in homes that if someone gives an inappropriate touch to mm -hmm. you that it that is not safe you have to tell a trusted adult about it because that breaks rules sure. so we need volunteers to do that type okay. of stuff and you have a lot of people out there who want to work especially our retirement community mm -hmm. they often find when they retire oh darn i still have a lot to give to the yeah. world so we want them to come on board with us Good. they can work in that aspect so um, we also have community fundraiser and education events mm -hmm. where we just can't be there so mm -hmm. they can fill in our shoes and they can offer that community education. If it's sitting at a table, you know, uh, talking with people in the community at the health fairs or at any type of community event where they allow us to be there. They can attend that okay. and they can do that for us. So Great. we have so many different uh, ways that someone can volunteer or if they just want to come at the office and help with office okay. uh, work. That's certainly welcome. And they can just visit your website, right? It's heartsofhope.org. Theheartsofhope.org. Very good. Um, changing the subject to you, um, let's ask some fun questions now. I have a feeling I might know the answer to this one, but if you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? <laughs> oh man, I'd be a spending fool. <laughs> I, I really would. Um, I would give money, of course, to a lot of the organizations in my local area that mm -hmm. need it. So not just Hearts of Hope, I would give to like Habitat for Humanity, United Way, so many others, right? I have a whole list. Mm -hmm. uh, then I would spend on things that I've always wanted, travel. I love to travel. That is my hobby. That is my passion. Okay. We go all over. We, we must take about five to nine trips a year. Um, so I definitely travel. Where would you travel to? What, what would oh. be a place in your mind that you'd love to go see? Great question, because I have a bucket list that okay. I keep in the notes app of my phone. Really? So oh, every year, my husband <laughs> and I are checking off the list. Love it. Uh, and we try not to go back to a place. We do have a lot of family all over. So, uh -huh. okay, you got to go to some places and visit family. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on my list that I am going to in October is to Italy. I've never been to Italy, so I'm excited to go, right? Nice. But if I won the, the lottery, well, I'm gonna take a year off of work mm -hmm. and I'm gonna travel all around the globe. I'm gonna do it. Would you still cruising. go back to work? Eh, probably <laughs> so, because I don't think, I'll be one of those people, mm -hmm. even though I have money, I can't just sit at home and yeah. exercise and, and, and just, oh, because I gotta do something. Mm -hmm. 
I have that in me like my father. My father is a farmer, and I firmly believe that is going to go on the glory on that farm. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that. So I have that in me that, uh, you know, work is me. Mm -hmm. I have to be doing something. I have to be making some type of impact on the world. Okay. So even with my millions, I am going to take time off. I'm going to work when I want to work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have all my friends who have been there with me in my highs and lows. They're coming too. So okay. I'm paying for them. <laughs> and we're going to just live it up lavishly. Then I am going to, of course, see where the needs are. I like yeah. to make direct impacts mm -hmm. when we know specific families are without. When we know that some organization wants to do a certain project, but they just don't have the funding. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm a sucker for those. That's where my money's gonna go. <clears throat> uh, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't think I'll be the um, philanthropist that'll do too much global work. Yeah. Um, because I think that uh, other people will take care of that for me. Right. So I will stay locally and do some things all around right. Acadiana. Love it. Uh, you mentioned how much you like to travel. Um, what has been a favorite vacation of yours? Mm, so many, so many. <laughs> but you know, I think, and, and my kids watching, oh well, they know this already. The best vacations I have when it's just me and my husband. When you have kids, boy, they can be your spoilers, right? <laughs> like they, <laughs> it's really not a vacation when right. they're along. Their agenda totally consumes you, mm -hmm. right? So recently, you know, we, we took them to Orlando. They've done Disney World a couple of times. So this time we did Universal. So the whole day, my husband and I are just like, okay, what y'all want to do? Okay, yeah. that's what y'all doing. And we're just standing around. If it's a ride <laughs> that we think our stomachs can take it, we'll get on it with you. If it's not, well, we'll just sit down and eat. <laughs> we'll bear it. But the absolute best times is when it's just he and I, because I firmly believe in dating your spouse, mm -hmm. because that's what keeps things fresh yeah. and alive, sure. and you can connect better mm -hmm. and get away from the everyday hustle and bustle, the everyday family agenda, and just be one with one another. Yeah. And my husband, he's um, he's an opposite of me. Okay. He uh, He's so hilarious, <laughs> and, and we can both be two kids together when it's just he and I. Our children would never know that's us if they were to really? see us, be a little oh, fly on nice. the wall when it's just me and him. <laughs> that is not my parents. That is. Uh, we like to have fun. Hey, nothing <laughs> wrong with that at all. Um, okay, we're going to wrap up the interview with just a few more questions. But if you could have dinner with a few people, four or five, living or deceased, who would it be and why? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> if she were alive, I would love to have dinner with Coco Chanel. Oh, nice. oh man. Her story. Mm -hmm. Going to the convent. And learning about fashion and sewing, oh man, yeah. like you don't, right. that's very rare, right? right? Right, And I love her her sense of fashion that she introduced to the world, combining old and new. Yeah. A, a lot of my attire comes from what she's attributed to the fashion world. Nice. So I just love her, love her. Nice. I would have also loved to have a sit down with Maya Angelou mm -hmm. because she done so much brilliant literary work mm -hmm. and uh, I, I live by some of her quotes one of them my favorite you alone are enough mm -hmm. and I tell that to my own children you alone are enough we live in a world where people are so pretentious no one's authentic anymore right mm -hmm. so they feel they have to put on for what ex acceptance or is it approval no right. 
you alone, mm -hmm. who you are, everything that had to be orchestrated just for you to be created, mm -hmm. that is enough. So, too bad. Can't sit with them, but I would have loved to. Oh my God, yeah. we would have had a very long lunch. It would have been breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Living, uh, definitely Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Oh man, she's a media mogul. Mm -hmm. So many good tips I could have picked up from her. Sheryl uh, Sandberg, mm -hmm. Lean In is one of my favorite books. Okay. Uh, I kind of, I, I, I see a lot of her story in mind, trying to navigate through things silently, you know, mm -hmm. moving, being that change. And through your own story, you are able to affect the changes in a working organization. And sometimes these male-dominated industries who sometimes uh, neglect women's rights, right. women issues in the workplace, you know, things like pay e equality and all that. that. These are issues that are rising up on the agenda and mm -hmm. are staying on the agenda until we can tackle it and we can overcome. So I would love to sit with her. Definitely, now this is a pair. I need both of them. Okay. Former President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle. Oh, yeah. Seen him in person. He came to Baton Rouge, was not able to sit with them. Yeah. More so because of their marriage. So I looked yeah. at the last interview that they had. I see so much of myself in him, and I see so much of my husband in Michelle. <laughs> Those opposites attract. They really do. Because uh, I am that one sit around family table discussions. I'm very serious. I want to know what have you learned? What was the, the roses and, and the thorns in your day? How can I help you navigate through this difficulty with your, with your peers? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the challenges, right? And uh, my husband, he just wants to, so, so you, did y'all see that new YouTube video with that guy doing? And I'm just, this is so not relevant. <laughs> But you need that balance. Yes. So uh, when we even go on vacations, I'm always trying to look for the museum that's near. They're mm -hmm. just like, man, it's a concert around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to learn something regardless with mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would love to sit with them, too. I oh, think yeah. that would be a, an awesome uh, dinner. Uh, well, you mentioned, you know, uh, earlier about, you know, Mayor Cordays and, and changing laws and, of course, talking about different elected officials throughout the years. Um, what changes in law would you like to see being made uh, in the future regarding, you know, the mission of Hearts of Hope? Or is there anything that needs to change now um, that's on your agenda? The very first one, that's a very good question because the very uh, first thing I want is for sex education to be mandated. Mm -hmm. It's authorized. Okay. Authorization means that's at the principal school board authority. So they, if they choose to have it, fine. Mm -hmm. If they choose not to have it, so be it. And that has been an issue, not so much for this area because I have been able to overcome that type of challenge, but it is still a challenge for many people across Louisiana that mm -hmm. they do not allow. And it's, it's not really teaching sex, it's the prevention of sexual violence. Right. It's so necessary empowering these young students before they get to college. Mm -hmm. 
letting them understand what are risky behaviors. The little red flags that they have to see in their peer relationships that contribute to violence every day in their community. How they think of things. We tend to talk about rape culture a lot. And I had to explain that to someone that rape culture is not uh, condoning the violence that stems from uh, sexual contact. It's, mm -hmm. it's passively uh, saying that's okay. Right. When you objectify women, rape culture, when women are portrayed as having to be submissive, that's contributing to rape culture. Mm -hmm. it, it's so many different things and you see it all the time especially in media, and, yeah. and you have to tackle that issue there because nowadays you have children having cell phones early as five and right. six, right. no parental controls, so they have the world literally at the palm of their mm -hmm. hands, mm -hmm. and all these messages are coming into their brains, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them become addicted, and pornography is a billion-dollar industry, mm -hmm. so they have access to this pornography that's coming through all these different avenues mm -hmm. and pornography becomes addictive, right? Mm -hmm. So these children are emulating what they see. They are becoming what they're seeing, what they're hearing. And that all contributes to it. Right. So I would love to see that mandated. Okay. Okay. Um, in closing, we're halfway through the year right now. What are you looking forward to for the rest of 2018? Hmm, 2018, what I would like to see for the rest of 2018 is to hopefully see a decrease in sexual violence for our area. Uh, I always like to compare our numbers at the end of the year to see if we're decreasing or increasing, right? So I hope to see for the rest of 2018 less numbers. Mm -hmm. I also would like to see more awareness. I wanna see more people in the community talking about this issue. I want to see more schools having these social change campaigns run on campus mm -hmm. to decrease that sexual violence that, that happens, even with teen dating. We, we tend to try and act like our teens are not out there dating. When these teens hook up at the movies, when these teens are going to a sporting event or whatever, they're dating. Mm -hmm. We need to face the facts. Right. They're dating because they tell us. They may not tell their parents. Mm -hmm. They may not own it to their teachers, but they'll own it to someone else outside of right. the classroom in the home. They're dating. And a lot of this violence, the, the indicators are there mm -hmm. through their peer interactions. And so you don't address it. You don't attempt to prevent it. Well, that's going to transcend. Mm -hmm. It's going to go into their adulthood. It's going to follow them whenever they, they get married, when they have their own kids, whatever right. they do, wherever they travel. Th those behaviors are just going to go with them. Mm -hmm. uh, lastly, how would you like to be remembered? I would love to be remembered as this fabulous, fashionable woman who made such a great impact in Louisiana. Like, the Louisiana community serving diva. <laughs> Love it. Well, on that note, that concludes our interview. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. The AOC Podcast is produced by AOC Community Media. 
contributors include Mary Baudouin, Ed Bowie, Lillian Dejon, Annette Diaz, Joe Boosie Ferguson, Joseph Klesanen, William McFarlane, Matt Roberts, Skip Shannon, Christy Tracy, Jasmine Tillery, Jacob White, and Shahid Williams. Music in today's episode, The Long Goodbye by John Pazdan. AOC Community Media is located at the Rosa Parks Transportation Center, 101 Jefferson Street, Suite 100, Lafayette, Louisiana, 70501. For more information, go to our website at aocinc.org, call 337-232-4434, or email info at aocinc.org. Until next time, stay informed and engaged. Thank you.